folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. We're continuing our series on criminal justice, criminal justice reform. It's really uh, Hava's idea. She really uh, has, has started us on this. And I, this is the fifth or sixth fifth, show we've uh, done on the, the topic. Mm-hmm. And we've had everybody from the sheriff to... Uh, to uh, Restorative justice. Yeah, yeah, restorative justice people and, and everything else. And so we're talking about... The American justice system policing in the in the broadest uh, sort of sense. So um, we have two people in the studio. It's been so long since we have people in the studio, but uh, you know Tom and I have had our shots, so we don't worry anymore. Um, okay, so Javi, you want to introduce our sure. guests and tell us Love where you. they're from and and what organization? Okay, well let's uh, let's touch to just lightly on our theme today, which is policing alternatives. And so I have a couple of folks in. With us to uh, Sam Merton and Amy Meglio uh, that uh, have created this uh, policing alternative called NoCap Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program. Uh, this is one of many that are popping up around the country um, to answer non-violent, non-criminal calls that come in through 911. Um, so yeah, I'm going to let these two take over. Introduce yourselves. Tell us uh, how this all came about. Uh, hello. So, yeah, my name is Samuel Merton. Uh, uh, so how it came about, I just was talking with people, um, talking to Cahoots, which is the uh, the same sort of program in Eugene, Oregon. And we all just got together, tried to uh, push this for Phoenix. Yeah, so you got in touch with uh, Tim Black, who is a consultant at Whitebird Clinic, who is connected yes. to... Uh, cahoots. Um, Tell us so a little been, bit about cahoots, um, uh, uh, Hava. And well, Sam's done a lot of work with them. I mean, I actually was uh, aware of cahoots back twenty some years ago when they started, because um, I was driving Safe Ride, one of the first uh, iterations of cahoots. Um, but Sam worked with the consultant because they've been. How long has cahoots been in in uh, practice? Like twenty some years now, right? Yeah, about, well, I think it's been more than that, probably like uh, uh, since oh, the 60s. Oh, it has to be. Oh, I was gonna, oh since the um, 60s. Okay. Yeah, never mind. Then I was and what exactly yeah, I really does Cahoots do? What exactly does the organization do? So for uh, nonviolent, non-criminal calls, they go out, things like welfare checks, um, drug-related calls, calls of all of the unsheltered, they go out um, and deal with those calls instead of police. And it's worked well? Have they had any of their people killed or injured in all these years? No, it's worked great. Um, there's barely any calls they have to call back up for. Um, it's been super successful. Um, well, Sam, what was that statistic of 150,000 calls? And I can't remember which year, but recently 150,000 calls. They only had to call the uh, police 100, around 100 times for backup. Yeah, it's a very small percentage. So they're set to call up the police for backup if there's any problem, if they can't handle the situation. Yeah, and these people, um, they're trained in de-escalation, so they are handled to 
um, to solve most of these calls. So, uh, so they're mental they're health, trained. Yeah, yeah, they're they're trained mental health providers, um, counselors. They're, you know, they come out with supplies. They're uh, with empathy, with uh, care. So it's really um, a community-driven um, organization. So you got inspired, and we all have to. We, I have to, you know, preface this also too with we've all met through our demonstration this last summer protesting, um, and Sam just kind of quietly in the back thinking he's just this. Quiet guy has just spearheaded the most amazing initiative that we're working to get into the budget this year. So tell us a little bit about NoCap. What, uh, you know, and Amy, jump in here too. She's got lots of experience uh, organizing with um, Grassroots Law Project. So she's been really instrumental in helping Sam get this um, set up. So describe a little bit more what NoCap would be doing in Phoenix um, to, to help out with the community. Amy, you can take that. Um, yeah. Well, so as far as um, so I'm Amy, I'm a volunteer lead coordinator with the Grassroots Law Project. And um, Sam's timing was pretty much impeccable because when he had the idea of reaching out to Cahoots, the city manager just happened to be already thinking about allocating yeah. $15 million to this type of a program. So um, NOCAP would basically be like the written fine print. They want to print a program or build a program over two to three years where, so out of 660,000 calls to 911 in 2020, um, almost 50% of them were non-criminal or non-violent. Mm -hmm. So those calls will be routed. The 911 operators will be trained. And just like you'd write, route a fire to the fire department, um, a mental health crisis or like a drug-related call would be routed to the community advocacy program. And, and they would come out just as... It it's interesting that, uh, you know, in the United States, and I think in the world, we have we got into the situation where we call the police for everything, mm -hmm. for things that don't mm -hmm. seem to be really police related. And talking to us, some officers, they'd like to get out of the, the mental health business and yeah. uh, and and uh, have somebody else who, who's trained to do it. Because they have training, but they don't have as much training as you need to de-escalate these things. So it seems like we started out from the position, any problem, you call the police. That just is, is built into the culture from, from way back when, and nobody's examined it, whether that is makes sense or not. So I'm really glad to see that you guys are, are thinking about that. And so there are 600,000 calls a year in, in Phoenix, right, if I, under, if I saw the statistic mm -hmm. I saw. And the number of criminal calls is, is just is a smaller part of that, right, Amy? It's really small. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the, the huge majority is nonviolent and non-emergency calls or non-criminal calls, yeah. So, like, dive into that a little bit more. So that would include mental health crises. Um, yeah, like welfare checks, um, things like suicide risk. Um, noise violation. Noise violation, trespassing. Truancy. Yeah. Um, runaway <coughs> children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, juvenile. There was some other one like that, like runaway children, but there's like a, a specific code for it. Um, Truancy, right? Also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much anything you would call if you think like... Um, I need to find another number besides the police. Like this would take those calls um, through the 911 system. 
And is this is this going to happen, guys? Is this is this going to happen down in in Phoenix, or what? Yes. What, what's the progress of your uh, of trying to get this program in? So the city manager, through his trial budget, um, has a program available called the uh, Community Advocacy Program, and they they do have plans to expand that program into a crisis assistance program, but. It's very vague right now what's going to happen. So our program is working with the community, working with uh, local grassroots organizations to make sure that everyone's voice is heard and things that go into this program is what the community wants. So right now it's the fire department working with some local mental health organizations that are answering calls. Is it kind of like a pilot right now, pilot program that they're doing? Do you know how like deeply they've integrated it into uh, 911 calls? Um, I'm not sure right like right now the current um, the current iteration of it um, it wasn't that used and it wasn't that uh, funded or I guess uh, really well established so it's really a complete overhaul of that program um, and they're sort of turning it into a crisis assistance program. But there is something that existed, but it mostly just uh, was sort of like for counseling. So, like, let's say your house burned down or something tragic happened. They would send these people afterwards to uh, consult you. So that's not a bad idea, but this is not the kind of proactive thing that that you folks are trying to get to happen, which is where I call the police because because uh, I'm feeling, you know, really weird or whatever it is. Um in, in, I think it was in New York. Uh, uh, if you if you get sick, if you call an ambulance, the police also always show up. Is that true in Phoenix, or do you know? And I never understood quite why, but but that's what happens. Yeah, the police show up, um, and that's really what we're trying to avoid because police officers they're not trained to handle most of these problems. They're not trained in de-escalation. And most of them, like you mentioned earlier, don't even want to be going to these calls. Um, we did a lot of research about the Portland um, Portland uh, crisis response team, and they passed out surveys um, to the police officers, and pretty much all of them said they didn't want to be going to these calls, and they would prefer it to be passed on to somebody else. So. I think it's also really important to note that um, you're 16 times more likely to be uh, or for an officer to use force on a mental health call. So, like, not only do they not want to be going on them, but it's also creating more instances for escalation to, like, a violent level. Mm-hmm. I would think the whole police approach to uh, to mental health issues, their kind of command presence and they arrive and they boss you around to take care of control of the situation, which I understand why they want to do that. Seems like the most counterproductive thing you can do with the mentally ill mm-hmm. because that's just going to set them off. In fact, Americans are kind of a cranky people. and <laughs> The minute the police start bo- bossing people around, people get angry and, and, and you get these confrontations. And, and um, I mean, there's a whole slew on the far right who believe they have the right to armed revolt against the United States government. And there's another thing is that that a whole lot of people are unexperienced with the police personally. And the minute they get somebody 
in their face, bossing them around, telling them what they do. Sometimes they've not really done anything criminal. There's a, there's a, and this is whether you're white or black, there's kind of a real negative reaction. You get some resistance to, to police presence. So maybe this would uh, cut down some of that, you know, authority. Instead of, you have a helping person rather than a person who's, who's trying to tr- get control of the situation. I understand the police need to keep themselves safe. But uh, what I I was reading about the program at Denver, which is new, it's been very successful. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you, maybe I should wait till later. But the problem in Denver is not they've done all these calls. None of their people have ever been hurt. They never have had to call the police. It's all worked just fine. They don't have the secondary facilities to send people to. That's their problem. In other words, they don't have uh, enough places uh, to place the homeless. They don't have enough uh, thorough counseling programs for the mentally ill. And so they do their job, and that's good, but they don't have the next stage. Uh, Have have the people in in Phoenix thought about that? What happens? I mean, uh, you know, right now here they're sent to Spectrum Mental Health, who's working with the police. And so if you get a call in the county um, and it seems to be a mental health issue, they send out Spectrum uh, Mental Health folks. Um, but there's a limited facilities for the folks. Once once you're contacted, how do you get them? How do you get some second level help? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that is definitely something that would be part of a neighborhood organized crisis assistance program. So we would be establishing a human resources network throughout Phoenix um, and working with different organizations um, and community centers to to send uh, people to if they need to be dropped off somewhere or um, transported to certain places. Um, And there are groups working specifically about that type of uh, program. So uh, people are aware in Phoenix of the need for more um, facilities and people are fighting for uh, funding for that. So um, one thing we're really trying to push is like working with um, other local groups to uh, make sure that like a safe, like I said before, like a safe um, human resources network um, so when we know that we need somebody needs help and someone needs to like stay overnight somewhere, we're sending them to the right spot. And so those conversations are just beginning right now, right, with the organizations in Phoenix and kind of establishing relationships. And because there's such a big network, obviously, it's such a big city. So there's definitely lots of interest in. Yeah. Um, and that's really a big part of um establishing something like this like you have to talk to different communities talk to um, the public to you know get everyone on the same page to gain trust because that's something that happened naturally in Eugene Oregon for cahoots like they were naturally able to develop that trust but like if you're starting it from scratch in in a um, in a place like Phoenix you have to build into it the community engagement and the talking with uh, local groups, and that's something we're really trying to push. Sam, do you think be- that's because they it started from a, in a clinic? Is that how Kahoot started? Like, did did Whitebird yeah. kind of come out of Whitebird? Um, yeah, I think it had to do with um, 
it started from a clinic and it started from people who just wanted to go out and help. Right. Like, if I remember correctly, um, it started with people who called because they were having like bad trips, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like bad drug trips. So like these people would uh, go out and help them and not really care like if they were breaking the law, if they were undocumented, um, and they would just help them and it gained trust in the community over time. And that was what established into cahoots. Mm-hmm. So like that's something we're thinking about and we know needs to happen in any sort of, in any sort of program that's established. Mm-hmm. It is a problem of scale because uh, Eugene is a, a fair-sized city, but uh, Phoenix is the fifth largest city in the United States now. It, it's, it's huge. You've got hundreds of thousands of phone calls to that go into the 911 system every year, 600,000 calls. Um, just dealing with that administratively seems difficult, but it, it looks like if you can get this going, I, I don't see where these programs have really failed. Maybe I haven't done enough research, but I mean, even the new programs in Denver and stuff have been very successful. A lot of the things that I think people uh, uh, imagine will happen, which is that the the, the responders the uh, will get hurt or something. Uh, but, but, you know, a lot of what we have up here, folks, is a little different as we have somebody who's homeless, who is not, has not taken their meds, they're trespassing on people's property, and people get really, really angry about it, angrier even than the police think they should get. I mean, they, they get, the, you know, they, they want the guy gone right now, and they don't care how. And and so the police are a lot of under pressure to, to do something about these these folks. Um, a program that would, would help them. So if you had somebody who was homeless, who was acting out somewhere, if you could get him in a facility where he had some uh, some help, it seems like it would be, I don't see a downside of it. Right. Do you, Hava? No, well, because you're, these calls are being, or these calls that are being uh, routed to a crisis assistance program, they're unarmed. There's no weapons involved. I mean, that's why you have the police. If there's weapons, it's an emergency, um, then you call the cops. Or if you get to a situation, I'm imagining that one of the no-cap providers shows up at the scene, but there's been no, um, they haven't said there's a weapon, <clears throat> that if they get there and then they see that there is or it escalates, then they call the cops in. So I think that's the success of this, these programs is there's no violence involved. There's no danger from people. And this, of course, I'm sure that's why they're trained in de-escalation. If you've got a mental health crisis or some kind of drug reaction that you might have some you know, a lot of intense energy, but without weapons, with the knowledge of, of providers on how to de-escalate that, yeah, you're, you're not going to really have a lot of failure. You know, old-fashioned patience, dealing with some of these folks with patience right. and, 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 and not trying to immediately solve the problem. You go there, you're going to have to spend some time talking to them. And mm-hmm. I, I know the police don't like doing this. They really don't like like doing this. They don't like sitting down in the dirt with some guy who, who just won't move and he's, he's, he's trespassing but he doesn't not you know he's not even aware of what he's doing some of these right folks, and you then know. so you know a huge piece of why interactions with police go bad so fast is because people don't comply and they don't obey orders immediately there's all kinds of reasons for people not complying immediately to an order from the police but because the police don't 
have any training in de-escalation, it goes bad quick. So with people that have training in how to speak with people, how to, you know, that know the symptoms or the signs of what's going on with somebody, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have such less instance of... of and know. so what's your folks' next step? What are you, what are you trying to, to do next? We're in the middle of it now. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're in the thick of it with the, with the um, district-by-district budget meetings. So at this point, NOCAP is virtually watchdogging what the city's doing. You know, we want, if they're going to be spending taxpayer dollars, we want to make sure they do it right and that they do it the way these programs that you've mentioned that empirically have worked and are working, you know, we want to take a note from them. Um, so, yeah, we're asking everybody to show up at the district by district budget hearings, at the community wide budget hearing um, and just let your council member know and let the mayor know what um, mental health crisis policing needs to look like, you know, for for their community or if there's going to be an elderly wellness check for their grandma. What do they want that to look like? Let the city know, because, in, we, you know, we want it to be built by the community for the community. Yeah, and that so requires showing up at the meetings. It's virtual, so you know it's okay. there's no in-person meetings at the, at the at the moment. So it requires sitting on the phone um, and uh, taking two minutes to speak to council. And it's you know first couple times are nerve-wracking, but you kind of get the hang of it. And and uh, we get on calls together for hours, and we'll zoom and and connect and support each other. And um, but it, that's the crucial part of this is community involvement. And there's there's still five or six meetings left, and it's on my page, Mixtress Hava. If people want to see the the dates, they can call in. There's links. Uh, that's kind of what's crucial right now is is you know council hearing right. desires of the community. Um, the Grassroots Law Project actually just launched us a page too. If you go to nocapphoenix.com. It's got all sorts of ways to get involved, action steps you can take, petition to sign, a letter to the mayor. And so that's nocapphoenix.com. So what you're trying to do, is, as I see it, is something new. And when you try to do something new that hasn't been done before somewhere, it's a long haul. It's a lot of work, right? It is, yes. It's, but, but like Amy said, the timing is so perfect because, A, you have all of these cities that have – had their crisis assistance programs pretty locked in where we can see the results. Uh, and the city's already, you know, going, yes, this is what we want. We want a crisis assistance program. So within the next, they're saying 18 to 24 months, we'll have a program flushed out. And Sam, maybe you'll jump into, you know, because we really want this iteration because it works. This is, you know, Sam's work with Tim Black at uh, Whitebird Clinic up in C- with Cahoots. He's modeled no cap on their program so we know it works and you've got what 18 points that you'd love to see i'm going to have to dive into all of them but maybe highlight some of the you know the main ones you want to have the city focus on um that they want to include in no cap sure um so yeah we have a letter to the mayor and city council um that lists 18 demands and these demands um we worked with uh, local groups to um, for, for have to have input on, and it's things like um, we want this to be a separate entity from police and the fire department. We want them to not carry any weapons, um, not report things to ICE, um, not report like drug use or if they believe you're undocumented or run background checks. Um, you know, it's like 
pretty much the core fundamentals of this program. And we want to make sure because, uh, when things go through the city, um, there's going to be multiple iterations of it. And we just wanted to make sure the community involved and having this letter that the council members can sign on to or promote, um, will reflect that they're listening to the community. They're listening to these organizations. And if you are an organization, um, in Phoenix, you can sign on to this letter and become part of our, uh, no cap coalition. So we're part of a unified front that's presenting this letter. Uh, democracy is kind of messy, folks. You really have to get involved sometimes mm-hmm. to get things done. Mm-hmm. And particularly when you're trying to innovate, I think then, then, um, there, you guys have all these meetings you're willing to go to. I, I, I respect that. I'm, I become an unmeeting guy. <laughs> so I, anybody who goes to meetings and listens to these things and gets in these dialogues, I think it's important. So I hope people in Phoenix will do that. And I hope that, um, We'll have a chance to talk to the chief of police here in Sedona and, mm-hmm. and about the kinds of issues. The problem in Sedona, folks, is that the issues we have, you know, occasionally there's a shooting or something, but are basically nonviolent issues. They're issues of trespassing and speeding and and, and just sort of irresponsible behavior. And and they're they're in fact, a lot of the police in, in, in uh, Sedona leave Sedona and they want to go to someplace like Phoenix where there's real police work. So I think you guys would be taking a lot of the stuff that they don't want to do away from them. But even even so, that's that's going to be a fight, Hava. Well, yeah, of course. But really, too, um, when you talk about taking the police out of it, we talk about really reducing the police budget. They get $745 million of the budget. Um, and so when you look at taking cops out of these nonviolent, non-criminal situations, you're talking about saving a lot of money. So I think that, uh, you know, when we try to get people involved in uh, you know, supporting something like NOCAP, we look at how much money this is slated to save uh, the city. Um, and I think, Amy, you said uh, that most of these crisis assistance programs do best when they've got a $20 million budget uh, per year. Yeah, and that's scaled to proportion, actually, for – so comparatively um, – and this is according to, like, the Justice Collaborative. They scaled the populace of, like, Eugene and Denver and those programs, their policing budget, the proportion of the policing budget to populace. The equivalent of that would be $20 million because our budget is $745 million. So you only want $20 million for all of this? Oh, we'd like more. Only twenty million. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, per year. I mean, honestly, when you folks, when you get into government kind of issues, and you get, I mean, we've got houses in in Sedona that probably cost twenty million dollars. Yeah, so it's, it's not it, that much. In that sense, it's not a, it's not a huge amount of money. It it seems like a program that if it didn't work, you can just always undo it. But it seems to me that if you structure it correctly, and that's mm-hmm. just the $20 million, this is for the first responders, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And it's not for the backup for what happens to the person. Right. Where they, do you have a place to put the homeless person? I mean, look at Phoenix in the summer and that kind of thing. Correct. That would be for the department, um, a separate entity of a uh, crisis assistance program. 
for like a yearly budget, yes. And it would be to send out uh, the model is like one EMT with one MD or mental health mm-hmm. worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of the um, of the police stops and stuff end up in confrontations, and from the outside, it's hard to know how how this how they start. But certainly, uh, it seems to me that somebody arriving with a with a sort of nonviolent. See, if you if you have a gun, you can always fall back on it if there's a problem. There's a temptation to solve the problem, you know, by reaching for your gun. And if you're a mental health worker, you're going to have to use de-escalation. If you can't solve the problem, you're going to have to back away and call somebody. But I, I, it just seems to make sense, folks. And, and well, I wanted to answer your go, go back ahead, to you. Ahead, you asked about how do these things happen where, you know, they escalate. And I think, you know, back to compliance and obedience on these calls where somebody's so checked out, they're not listening to the cop. The cop gets frustrated really quick. And that's how it escalates, in my opinion. I've seen a lot of, am I? Yeah. Um, it's definitely a completely different mindset that these people are going into calls for. Like, they're going to be responded by, like, caring professionals who are passionate about this type of work. Um, they're passionate about helping people, um, think, think, seeing them get the help they need, as opposed to police who come in um from a job that's like super stressful to them and just are there to uh, just solve the problem and get somebody arrested. Like that's kind of the only solution is like arrest them and put them in jail, um, which isn't what a crisis assistance program would be. That wouldn't be the end result they're trying to get to. So most of the calls are not burglaries or rapes or murders right. or, or just different kinds of homicide. Uh, most of the calls are about what 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 kind i guess and this is a difficult question what sort of calls would you have your mental health uh people in your in your first responders what kind of calls would they go to uh, yeah so the number one call in phoenix and probably everywhere would be welfare checks so like if you have explain like what a, a welfare check is to folks okay um you know, let's say you have a elderly neighbor that you haven't seen in a couple of days, but mm-hmm. every day you usually see him like watering his lawn. So you could call and have a welfare check where they would go and check on him and make sure he's okay. Right. You've knocked on the door. You haven't heard anything. And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's the same thing for like, let's say you haven't heard from a relative in a very long time or you have a friend who you think is having like a um is suicidal or having a mental health episode. Mm-hmm. Those type of things are welfare checks that um, right now police respond to. Um, and this is the number one kind of call? Yes, there's like 60,000 a year. By a landslide. Yeah, yeah, 10% of all the calls in 2018, 2019, and 2020. I think people have no idea that that's, that's what the main calls are. And if you're way... Some violent crime yeah. that... The, because yeah. the city didn't make it easy for us to find it that way. We had to have data experts go to Phoenix Calls for Service, and then, you know, they just have 660,000 cell injuries of every call for 2020. So you have to have somebody, you know, they don't make the data readily presentable. And I've heard way too many, way too many stories of calls of mothers calling 
for help for their children having a mental health crisis, only to have them dead within minutes. And, of course, it's affecting disproportionately the black and brown community in Phoenix. There's way too mm-hmm. many stories of, of parents calling for help to have their children you know, injured or murdered within minutes. So, so, so let's go. Let's go back. So that's the main caller, welfare mm-hmm, check, which mm-hmm. I don't see any reason that that the police have to be called now. If they arrive and there's been a crime, or if somebody's died, or if there's somebody who's violently crazy, then you then you then you get it to them. But for welfare checks, what you you it just logically that doesn't seem something. I mean, I think we're trapped into this situation where we use the police, like I said earlier, to solve everything and to solve mm-hmm. things like welfare checks. What else are the major calls? So welfare checks, um, things like trespassing, um, which really categorizes a whole bunch of different calls. Um, if you have a unsheltered person hanging out in front of a Circle K, mm-hmm. um, if somebody is just hanging out on the sidewalk, those are all considered trespassing so that's a huge call that this will take as well um things like we covered a little bit like mental illness um things like drug overdoses substance Mm -hmm. abuse yeah that's a big one yeah um it's really any non so let's say you call them a one if there's no gun if there's no like a bank being robbed it's going to be a crisis assistance program that responds first. So it's mostly mostly responding to to issues. Now, what I've been told uh, by uh, someone in the local police is that is that a lot of the pressure to deal harshly, really, uh, with with somebody trespassing comes from business owners or people who think Mm -hmm. that the trespasser is messing with their business. They're hanging out in their store. They're smelly guys. They're waving. They're causing a problem in the store. And they just want them out of there by any means possible. And this would be, this would take more time. You'd have to go in and talk the guy out, right? It's more fiscally responsible, though. And so if what we're trying to do with the city is really save money and, and manage our funds, um, it, it just makes more yeah. sense, even yeah. the time is worth it. Yeah. It is, and it really has to do with uh, valuing people more than property. So mm-hmm. um, they they can call and be mad about someone hanging out in front of their business, but... Uh, you have to take that person's life into consideration um, and, you know, treat them with respect and care about them. And the people, you know, going to respond ultimately will try to move them. Like if they're trying to use the bathroom, they can transport them to a place that will let them use the bathroom. They can transport them to a place where they can just hang out if they just wanted to hang out in a cool place that had air conditioning. And uh, like, let's uh, let's mention Muhammad Muhammad because that's somebody who was an unsheltered, um, had mental health issues, uh, went to a facility to use the restroom, and uh, the people that worked yes. there, um, you know, said he couldn't use it. There's just a whole uh, confrontation ensued. Cops showed up, and within minutes, Muhammad was dead. And you can maybe fill in some of the gaps there around. Yeah. Um so that happened in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, yeah, the police showed up. Um, they weren't trained in de-escalation, and they really 
they ended up choking him to death. And if there was a program like this, that could have went a different way. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a huge case and big example of how things can really go wrong and how a life can be taken from police who do not care about a person. They just wanted to, well, they just weren't trained to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So you want someone who is non-judgmental in a sense and non-legalistic uh, and so that if it's a drug overdose, you don't end up in jail because you have drugs right. there. Is that it? Or you're, yeah. you're, you're uh, here illegally, but you have some kind of crisis. Uh, right. You don't get... Uh, deported immediately, you get somebody who mostly just cares about helping you, and the other legal issues are, are another structure, right? Yeah, so the people responding, that's something that is really essential to this type of program and gaining trust by the community and making it be successful because, like, you don't want to call um, for help and worry that the person is going to end up killing one of your family members or ending up deporting your grandma. Like you're calling these people because you need support and you need to trust that they will help you. And even you mentioned earlier about sending, if someone needs to be sent to some sort of facility or a community uh, shelter, this type of program, um, working with those shelters, like, you will know that the place you're being sent isn't working with police either. Like there's some, there's some, uh, mental health groups and some shelters that, uh, coordinate with police. So like, it really is like a community. It's like a safety is put first. Health is put first. Mm -hmm. It's not about incarcerating people. It's not about putting people in prison or deporting them. It's just about help. Mm -hmm. I think that that, that in itself helps to de- de-escalate things. And the legal problem can be solved at a, in another time, another issue. But to get there and sort of resolve the situation, get some help for somebody, um, seems to me just just common sense. I know that America, we've never done that. There are, mm-hmm. these, there are these programs, and they always seem to work, but there are very few of them in the country. And uh, Denver's a big city but uh, and has a program, but Phoenix is even larger. So you're, you're taking on a huge city, millions of people, mm-hmm. 600,000 calls to the police. I mean, it's a, right. major, a major thing that you guys are trying yeah. to do, so I That's salute you, you see, for that. It's going to take 18 to 24 months to... Hopefully, with the city's participation and yeah, support. that's a um, that is sort of why they're trying to make it into fire department first. So you start out with um, at least the way we see it and the way that um, our research has shown it. Our research has shown it will work is you start out small and with a pilot program um, and branch out <clears throat> because. Uh, like you said, Phoenix is a huge city comparatively to these other places. So, uh, do you think it would start like kind of downtown, more like central Phoenix? You know, that's up for um, question depending yeah. on uh, what the research research shows. Mm. But uh, eventually, even if it goes sort of the way that uh, the city of Phoenix wants it, if we start out in the fire department just as like a support because they already have an infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, we can reach out. 
and eventually become an independent department that um, reaches all of Phoenix. Does, does the fire department want to do this? Are they doing a lot of it already? Because they have the, the first responders. They have the medical guys. Is that why you want the fire department involved? Well, if we had our way, the fire department would not be involved. Not um, be involved it would be right. completely separate from the very beginning because even the fire department isn't that great in Phoenix. Um, they don't have that much trust with certain uh, communities in Phoenix. So, like, if all of our demands are met in our letter, it will be a completely separate department from the beginning, and we will be <clears throat> um, slowly branching out from, like, have I said, maybe some somewhere in central Phoenix, um, and then eventually encompassing all of Phoenix uh as our pilot program gets tested. And to answer your question, Steve, really the fire department isn't doing much right now, isn't it still? It's kind of a yeah, pilot so program in itself with the mental health. Uh, the community advocacy mm-hmm. program right now. Um, like I mentioned before, it's um, active, but it's poorly funded, poorly used, um, and doesn't really get the job done, I guess. Yeah, so they've been talking about in the budget meetings kind of helping get that going. But yeah, they want to expand upon it. Something totally different and just kind of push back a little bit on the fire department being involved um you know they had said this recently in the last couple of months that they wanted to have police involved in their calls to downtown because they were basically fearful of answering calls down to the unsheltered they felt like it was getting dangerous down there so right there to involve the police is and the antithesis of, of what we're trying to get going here, which is completely separate from police. Yes. So tell us what the name of your organization is and what what folks uh, can do in Phoenix and what folks can do way up here in Sedona, looking down at Phoenix, where is a place we go to, um, to um, do things, <laughs> eat food, <laughs> and, and see beautiful desert gardens and, you know, and, and museums and so forth and so on, Central Phoenix seems, gosh, when I first saw it, what, that's 25 years ago, it's improved so much. It seems so much, so much better than it was. It's a great city. But I understand it's still the, where a lot of the, the highest crime rate is, is, is in the central Phoenix area. So tell us a little bit about your organization, getting the name and how people could contact you, your website. You've got 30 seconds. <laughs> so we're the Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program, NOCAP. And you can go to nocapphoenix.com, N-O-C-A-P-Phoenix.com. Okay. Give it to us one more time, and then we'll have an announcement. Uh, nocapphoenix.com, the Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program. And you would like assistance and support from people who are, don't live in Phoenix, right? Um, sure, yeah. Anyone can sign the letter. Anyone can yeah, there's go a- to the mm-hmm. community uh, meetings. We have an announcement from Madore, Democrats of the Red Rock. Looks like a really interesting breakfast coming up. The first uh, speaker is how the big lie is undermining voting. Uh, Daryl Hill, I don't know him, is a policy director of the American Civil Liberties Union in Arizona. And they're going to be talking about voter suppression bills. The second speaker is from a group that's uh, new to me called the Declaration for American Democracy. And their focus is on getting the For the People Act 
uh, reforming voting and election laws in nationally. So that sounds like a really interesting program. It's uh, 10 a.m., April 15th. They're still just doing Zoom, but it sounds like a good program. And I'd like to thank um, El Portal, wonderful puppy-friendly hotel here in Sedona, beautiful place for their support. We'd like to, and we'd like to thank, uh, oh, the uh, Verde Valley uh, and uh, Yavapai Democrats for their support. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I want to chime in here and say thank you to Sam and Amy and also, you know, uh, Rocky uh, wasn't here. We'll have uh, another part six of our criminal justice system on uh, May 3rd. Thank you so much. Tune in to us again, vvid.org. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.